Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. We can't replicate what tobacco has done or replicate what alcohol has done. They have to start having the people who understand the plant be part of the decision-making as opposed to chasing their tails. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to the Cannamom Show. I am Joyce Gerber, and we are grateful you are joining us today as we continue on our mission of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers, one can of story at a time. So today, I not only have a big show with four guests, I also have my friend John Gay joining me as my canna bro, because <laughs> Dave... He's away. Sometimes I let him take a day off. So, hey, thanks for stepping in today. Always happy to be here with you, Joyce. Always fun. So sometimes I make Dave talk about the Supreme Court. It's been a weird passion of mine lately, but I'm not going to do that today with you. <laughs> Good, because he's the ex-lawyer. He knows way more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah, we do the learning doing stuff. Sometimes I do take a break from politics, but I just you're a podcaster, a professional podcaster. You're out there in Michigan. You're Michigan now? Yeah, so we're yep. doing our thing. I don't know. Just Can we talk a little bit about what you're talking about, learning about? I've been doing this for a five years now. You've been doing it longer, I believe. So yeah. About the same actually, Joyce. And okay. Re- and really what we're learning in the podcast industry is the best way to get discovery for your podcast is through other podcasts. You can put little short videos up on social media and you can do all the Twitter, Facebook, you twit face stuff. But aside from that, the best way to get noticed is to be in other podcasts. It's a matter of fishing where the fish are. That's a good way of putting it. So, so he is a professional. See, doesn't he sound like he knows what he's talking about? So- <laughs> 
<laughs> That's because I'm the next radio DJ, 12 in a row next. He's got the good voice. I like it. All right. So, yeah. So that's things that we talk about a lot. And this week we're talking to some guests who are trying to get the word about cannabis. And I always talk about my own podcast, trying to get out there, reaching people. And I don't know if you're familiar with the MJ BizCon. It's a big conference about cannabis in Nevada every November, end of November, December. I'm not sure if you follow anything cannabis. Here and there a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've I, I, I reeled Dave into this world. He's like in it with me. So stay along. So in November, there's MJ BizCon and they have a nomination, a award ceremony called MJ Awards, MJs, like the, I got guess, it. Like, like, like the Tonys or the Oscars of cannabis. So we are trying to get the Cannamom show nominated. Duly noted. Absolutely. So if you know anybody in the podcasting world who want to like support the Cannamom show or in the cannabis world, I actually have the link in my newsletter. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe or in the show notes because everything's in the show notes. And I'm sure everybody here is going to nominate us because it's exciting to talk about cannabis and women, John. Absolutely. You don't want an Oscar. You want to marry. <laughs> you don't do the sound thing. That's what oh, they yeah, do. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the rim shot in front of me right now. Dave will put that in later. He's a good one. All right. So thanks, John, for joining me. And thank you for supporting us today because there's a little technical issues, but we got us all here and we're ready to talk. So today we have four guest authors in the second volume of Courage in Cannabis. It's another anthology of powerful stories of cannabis transforming and healing. We have three authors and the powerhouse behind this project, Dr. Bridget Williams. As I've mentioned before, I was a featured author in the first volume, and I am so happy to be supporting this project because now with these two volumes, there are over 60 stories of the most interesting and influential voices building this new industry. So I am just going to have a packed show, so we are jumping right in. So thanks, John, for helping us, and now we're going to introduce our guest today. So today we have cannabis authors with us who are making their mark in the cannabis world, and I am happy to be sharing their stories with you. We have Natasha Andrews, an attorney and cannabis advocate, Bronwyn Scarberry, an educator and medical cannabis patient, Gerald Moore Jr., a former college athlete and now cannabis advocate and president of Green Environmental Outreach, and the mastermind behind Courage and Cannabis Project, my friend, Dr. Bridget Williams. Welcome. We're happy. I'm so excited. All right. There's a lot of very excited. So I'm going to try to like herd people. So let's begin. Let's see. Let's start with a quick introduction. Give me your name, where you are right now, and why you wanted your story to be included in the Courage and Cannabis. Let's start with Natasha. Hi, my name is Natasha Andrews. I'm an attorney in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I really wanted to be a part of this amazing project because I think it's imp- important to share with people why we are in this industry, why we find it important and why we fight so hard to make sure that there are safe, fair, equitable laws for cannabis across the country. I started a cannabis national association and I really wanted that story to be shared. And we'll talk more about that. That's Hey, Gerald. Hello. Hello. So my name is Gerald Moore Jr. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining Uh, us. I don't have very many men. I just got Dave who I usually make fun of. So welcome. I understand. Thanks for having me on the Cam Mom Show. Uh, I am a father, so I, I do have children. And so for me, as far as getting involved in the cannabis industry and involved with Courage and Cannabis, it was just time. It was time for me to share my story. It was time for me to share my community story on how we can be successful and still consume the plant and how the plant really impacts a lot of people. So that was really my journey to getting involved. I've been consuming cannabis for almost 15 years. I played division one sports 
tried out for the NFL. And so a lot of times those stigmas get hidden behind mass media messages. And so I knew it was my time to really come out and share that, hey, I could be an All-American football player, still consume, still get my college degree. I still be a good father, a good husband, and a good community member. So I okay. wanted to share that story. And where 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 are you located? Where are you located? I'm in Columbus, Ohio, right now. Uh-huh. All right, and uh, so we'll come back to Ronren, and and let's go to so change the question for Dr. Bridget Williams. So welcome, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you. Why did I was the first one? I know that there's a lot of stories out there. I kind of know the the origin story, of the first one. Why did you think a second one was necessary? And how did you find all these really amazing and interesting people who you've gathered together? Absolutely. So thank you, Joyce, for having us on and, and supporting the book and this project so much. Book two was because there were so many stories that still needed to be told and that we hadn't even really touched on yet. And to as far as where some people, a lot of people saw book one. Some of the people I knew personally, some of the people had been patient or I interacted with them at some point. Since book one, and even a little bit before that, I started going around the country and doing talks. And from that is where some of the people from book one came. And so that even happened along with book two. So That's yeah, a lot of stories out there coming across. All right, Bronwyn, you're back. Bronwyn, can you tell me where, where are you right now? And why did you want to share your story in this Card and Cannabis edition? I am in the... Akron area of Ohio. And the reason that I wanted to share my story is because the universe conspired for me. Hmm. I was in the right place at the right time. And there are people who feel my story needs to be heard. All right. All right. So there we go. Different reasons across the board, different perspectives. So Natasha, I love talking about law stuff. Can you tell me more about the National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers and what's your connection to the Parabola Center, which just held a great event in Boston a weekend ago. And I'm just inspired by the work of Shailene Title and all the ladies who are doing all their things. So just tell me a little bit about what you're doing too. Sure. So the National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers is a resource and a network for attorneys with all of the emerging markets seemingly kind of recreating the wheel every time a market opens, we see a lot of the same similar, or I'm sorry, a lot of similar patterns in terms of how the rollout happens, the good and the bad. This is just a resource for attorneys to kind of get a lot of information about what's happening in other states, to learn from mentors in mature markets as emerging markets, and really to give people an opportunity to put heads together. Part of the importance of this was the lack of diversity within cannabis and needing some of the minds that are making the laws, putting out the legislation and reviewing these pieces of information to be people of color. So the National Association of Black Cannabis was started two years ago for that purpose. And we are proud partners with Shaleen Title and the Parabola Center. And they did do an amazing job last week recognizing partners doing some educational work and really just kind of motivating everyone with outreach. It's beautiful. Again, this is a new industry because it's being developed in a really unusual way, state by state, municipality by municipality. When we get to the federal level, this is really important. Who is whispering in the ears of the politicians? What decisions are being made? And it can't just be made in the image of big business anymore. This is an opportunity to do something differently. And I just talk about this in my daughter's bedroom, but you guys are doing it. Oh, thank you for being out there. All right, Gerald. 
switching gears. You're a dad, you're a caregiver, you're also a former college athlete. You mentioned it earlier, you're at NFL level and you're a cannabis advocate. So I don't know, you said, how did this enter your life? And then how did you work with other people? I'm sure, again, when I talk about like veterans and football players, once they come around, once this is really part of their culture, that's a different thing. So what was their reaction to when you came into this? So I've always kind of been in the cannabis industry, but you, when you're underground, you're not able to really express that. You're not able to be, especially being in the limelight of being a college athlete, professional athlete. That's why we don't hear any current pros really talking about cannabis or college athletes, even though the majority of them are consuming. And so it's very tough because you're going against the status quo. You're going against the norm. We're media trained too. So we're trained to have certain conversations and kind of shut off different parts of ourselves, but that can be a very heavy like burden to carry. So for me, I just felt that burden because it's like, this is a very essential part of my life. You deal with a lot of pain. Is that, how, is that how you, how, is, that, is that how it came into your life? Were you having pain? Did you find that it helped with things or yeah. how, how did you actually, because again, the stories I share so often are people who are going yeah. up against this narrative, but their own bodies are telling them they're feeling better and they keep doing it anyway. So were you sort of having that yeah. experience? Yeah. Yeah. So high school, I started experiencing, I was playing football, a very competitive conference in high school, played basketball as well. So you're dealing with injuries. And so really it started out as consuming with friends, but I realized it made me feel good. It made me feel like relaxed. I definitely was dealing with anxiety and stress that was undiagnosed um, just from the pressures of competing and wanting to go to division one route. So I started to recognize that. And then once I got to college, I actually studied healthcare administration and I'm studying, playing at the college level, having doctors give you pills for pain and all this stuff. So I realized that cannabis was a much better alternative and option than the route that a lot of people were choosing to go. And I just saw the level on which we were consuming and our, people said it helped them too. So right. I knew that it wasn't just for fun for a lot of people. It was helping them with a lot of different things. So my granddad grew cannabis probably in the seventies and eighties that I was told about, but he couldn't be out and he actually passed away a few years ago. So I just see it as me carrying on his legacy and my family's legacy to build generational wealth and, and an opportunity for our community in the healthcare space. That's awesome. Again, we live in the anomaly in history. <laughs> this has always been part of our health and wellness. People have always known how to use this and we took it out for pretty bad reasons. And thank you. for That's a really powerful story. Again, because when people can see a person using it, they can connect to them like you. I'm sure that that's made a lot of difference for, because I talked to moms. I, I never talked to really dads or football players, literally never, ever. So yeah, you're opening up a whole new market by existing. Yeah, we're we out here. And yeah. it, it, I think it's hard too, especially as black men. We talk about mental health. We talk about being vulnerable. We aren't, we don't get praised. We don't get supported to be vulnerable. And, and so when you look at the suicide rate, when you look at the health and wellness rate of African-American men in particular, we're struggling on a very high level and we need people to talk about these things. And so I kind of understood that being in the healthcare profession, being an athlete, being able to speak to young men, older men, I'm in that intersection. So I'm in the politics and I start understanding the politics. So it's like, hey, I got to use my voice. My wife's a news anchor, so I understand media at the highest level. So I was like, I got to be a voice for the people. And you're a dad, but we're going to come back to that. All right. So two very different stories. And now... <laughs> Bronwyn, you come to this from a very different angle. I know you're an educator. You've struggled to reach some other issues that are going on, and you've had to sort of fight back in this education world, again, where it is completely stigmatized. 
And again, I did not consume cannabis when my kids were little. I probably should have. And I'm all those teachers there probably need it. So what has been your experience as an educator and what are you what is your fight or what are you what are you up against? Yeah. My experience as an educator is that I have been disenfranchised by the war on drugs. I'm under a suspended license for possessing medical marijuana pursuant to a prescription on school grounds. And I'm currently looking for my place in the cannabis space, really, is what I'm doing. So I'm trying to find where my voice is needed or where my skill set is needed. But like, how do you, so how does this start, though? So again, you're a teacher, you, you fourth grade? What grade did you teach? Yeah. And, the years, and how many years are you teaching? I taught for 13 and a half years. And how, the can- I, and how did cannabis kind of enter your world and like kind of upend your world, too, I suppose? Cannabis entered my world when I was in the womb. I've always consumed cannabis. And in 2020, when I I'm also I just hit six years sobriety this past Friday, I also am an alcoholic. So I got sober and got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic pain and turned to cannabis instead of their pain management because I know firsthand what opioid use can do. I've lost friends and family to that. And and did you and you knew so you you always felt comfortable with cannabis. You never had a stigma against it or No, I didn't. I've and, always felt comfortable about cannabis. And you realize when you gave up the alcohol the cannabis is actually improving your health? Is that what you're Oh, absolutely. It manages my pain. It manages my blood pressure. It manages my arthritis. It manages my anxiety. It manages what doesn't it manage? Yeah. And and what I have an endocannabinoid system. Like we all do. Like we all do. Yeah. So what happened? So what happened in the school? So what happened when you were actually what was it what was the process that happened? You could drink. You could be an alcoholic teacher, really, but once they found out you had cannabis, they were like, This is the end. Yeah, I I actually have the pen on me. I know nobody out there in the world can see it, but this (laughs) is the Career Crusher 2000 right here. Wow. I I had it in my purse. I was heading to a doctor's appointment. I had a chiropractor appointment right after school. I meant to leave it in my car. It was in my purse. It was during the pandemic. I was traveling classroom to classroom. I put it in my purse. I put my purse on top of a cart and my computer on top of that. When I got into the classroom, I noticed that something was off. I could smell it. I took the pen into the bathroom to try to clean it up and then took it out to my car. I should have just taken it out to my car. Somebody went in the restroom after me. I got accused of smoking marijuana on school grounds and it took them a year to come up with their decision, but my license was suspended until the end of 2024. Wow. Taking away your livelihood. The war on drugs is still ongoing. That's it's, 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 it's very real. Yeah. God, I could talk about this all day. All right. Sorry. We have like lots of other stuff. All right. That is a yeah, very strong story. Right. But again, that's why the book's coming out because you want to yes. learn more about what is happening. So yes. I don't want to give it all away. All right. That's pretty powerful. I haven't talked about the education part of that and suspending a license yet. All right, Ohio, let's just jump back in. So we do have two people from Ohio, three people, three, three people from Ohio. So what is the unique, I'm in Massachusetts. I don't talk about Ohio specifically. What do you think is happening in Ohio? I can talk to Dr. Bridget, maybe specifically out there. It might be different from other states or maybe in combination with Natasha, because we are talking about policies. Are there things she's saying that should be re- uh, replicated across the country or things that shouldn't be done or something at a federal level? What's happening out there in Ohio? Jeez. So Ohio is still medical. 
there's there's probably a dozen ways to answer this, but we're still medical. Oh, really? You're medical only? We're medical only. We're always on the, I feel like since day one, we've always been on the verge of it going recreational. And there've been some bills that have come up that have not gone through yet. I think what might be interesting about what's going on in Ohio right now is we're in a situation where we really don't have enough patients. If I remember, what is it, like 100,000? I know Gerald keeps up with this quite a bit. Yeah, it was like 130,000. So we've actually lost patients in like the last year. So people get their car but don't necessarily renew them mm-hmm. or get them and don't actually finish the process, which is a couple clicks to actually activate the card. It's the friction. I'm telling you, it's the friction because I have a medical card too out in Massachusetts and there's like a couple of things that are just irritating enough that it makes you not want to do it again. And it's a little bit, right? Because there's actually, you know, there's a two-part payment issue and what have you, and it's hurting the industry. Yeah. And it's hurting the processors and cultivators because they're they're making products that aren't necessarily being sold because of that they are you're going to make more of the products that sell the most right and so even though we're a medical state more and more of the medical one-to-ones balanced products that are not necessarily higher thc are being made less and less and so the medical patient, little by little, becomes disenfranchised because they can't find what they're looking for, yeah. right? The cultivators and processors need to make what sells. I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we have, what, 75 more dispensaries that are opening. And there was a recent bill that came out to bring even more cultivators and processors and more license holders into the system. The problem with that is that if the current ones are already struggling, right? Now you're bringing in new hopeful license owners. Patients believe, oh, it'll lower the price and that's a great thing, but it will literally capitate the whole program, right? And so so do you have, so in terms of adult use, I just figured you, are you doing a referendum? Like what's the, can I do it legislatively? Like where are you in the process? I can't, it seems impossible that you don't have something. You're Ohio. You're not like, George, I don't know. No, I'm right now, like I said, there were some bills that came forward. I don't know if there's a vote coming up. Like I said, Gerald probably keeps, I try to stay out of the political lane. I, I kind of, no, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like just again, but again, I don't know. I pretty much want to ask Natasha. So I don't know if you've heard of this shred the schedule, trying to figure out what to do with cannabis mm-hmm. and actually creating a whole new schedule six. So it's like not even part of this mess that we've created, but that would do some protections for medical cannabis. It's, you know, pediatric medical. A lot of it is getting lost so that it could be actually part of the research. And you could actually get Medicaid to pay for it. I mean, have you heard of this? Do you, what do you have any you have opinions on it, Natasha? Is it me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, the policy. Yeah. So, yes, I've, <laughs> I've heard about this shred the schedule. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing that's sort of going around right now. The issue with the scheduling, descheduling versus rescheduling it can simply be put this way. A lot of us that are advocating for and fighting for the legalization of cannabis on a federal level recognize that it's not a drug, it's a plant, and should not be scheduled at all. There are certain problems that exist with it being on the drug schedule to begin with. When you understand the history of prohibition in the United States, you realize that the reasons for cannabis being listed as a drug and, and being Schedule One as it is have very little to do with health and wellness. And I say that to be kind. They actually have nothing at all to do. Nothing, with nothing. Yeah. Big, oh, sorry, I say this all the time. Really? <laughs> I think we're of a, a tax 
uh, tax evasion scheme, if if anything else, that and an attempt to sort of get rid of the undesirables in, in the nation at the time. So when you look at that and you look at the schedule, it's sort of a farce. And I think to your point earlier, part of the problem that we see is the people who are fighting for legalization tend to be knowledgeable, whether it's knowledgeable from the perspective of being users and having utilized the plant themselves or knowledgeable of the culture, knowledgeable of the history. And unfortunately, the people who are making decisions and policy tend to be people whose expertise is in politicking. And so you've got people putting out legislation and putting out all of these structures and, and infrastructures related to legalization that don't quite understand what it is that they're doing. And they're trying to replicate models that already exist out there. But this is a brand new bag. And at some point, we have to recognize we can't simply just lift up and you know, replicate what tobacco has done or replicate what alcohol has done or replicate any other industry because this is like no other industry. And at some point they have to start having the people who understand the plant, the culture and the medical side be part of the decision-making as opposed to chasing their tails. Amen. All right, so that is what I talk about all the time, but she said it better. So yeah, that's, it's it's complicated at the federal level. This is going to be a business. But again, I keep hearing about the medical part, which is really so important. And it's all health and wellness and feeling like it's getting lost and it's very expensive. And are people accessing what they need? So yeah, that's could be a whole nother show too. All right, let's Ohio. Anyway, so anything good going on in Ohio? I mean, Gerald, only the fact think? that it's legal, I would say medically, that's the only good thing right now. I feel like a lot of people Again, a lot of people are just going up to Michigan. So Ohio has this whole thing between Ohio State and Michigan. But now it's like, They're all, all, going with John. It's all, <laughs> like it's all gone away because most of the state is going to Michigan. I talk to people that are in the industry working for some of these companies, some of the cultivators going to Michigan to get their medicine. So we're losing billions of dollars, tax dollars for the state. But it's just, again, it's it's getting caught up in the legal structure. And I just don't think there's enough advocacy. There's not a lot of support in underserved communities. I mean, there's not many dispensaries in underserved communities around, but we know. Uh, and then also the cost. I mean, when you talk about some of these doctors are charging two, $300 for a year license that people can't afford. And then you have a $50 fee to the state. Then I have to be able to drive to the dispensary. Then I have to be able to sit and wait in line. Not all the dispensaries have drive-throughs or we don't have delivery. So where you have other states that have so many options on how to get it, we don't have home grow. We don't have delivery. Don't even home grow? All right. No, we don't. Uh, we're not following Ohio. All right. I don't no. know what's going See, on. See, now you're right. speaking my language, Gerald. So we have that Michigan-Ohio rivalry. Well, I'll say yeah. we have we have the legal cannabis here, but you've got the better roads. We'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave football out of it for now. Right. But the Michigan, they are models, actually, of how to do something differently. And like, it's interesting. Again, if we want to talk about America, this is a state by state experiment. Idaho is now upset because everyone's going to Oregon. So whatever. At some point, there's going to be interstate commerce. We could talk about the dormant commerce clause if we want. But, you know, (laughs) this idea that there's going to be interstate commerce at some point, we have to figure this out at a federal level and parabola and Natasha and those people are trying to figure it out to how to but this is something new and different. So I like that you're talking to people and trying to help them get to that level and figure out how everything's made up. Make up something new that works better for cannabis. That's what I hope. All right, let's- One thing that we did, oh, I'm sorry. The one thing that's different this year with Courage and Cannabis is that we actually have an educational section. And it is 
some some opinion, some op-ed type of chapters. We have Uwe Blushing that wrote the Cannabis Health Index give a chapter on the mind, body, and spirit of cannabis. Because I realized with the last book that, you know, that did not know that that we're getting this book and learning about cannabis really for the first time and through these stories, but didn't really have a context to understand what it was and what it did. And so we wanted to kind of create a section that with some educators, with some opinion, we have Deanne Lacey that runs United Returning Citizens, which is a former prisoner support program. And she actually gives a lot of information about that transition and people that have been in prison for the same things that now people are making millions of dollars off of. And so the idea was to always have that inspirational story that really educated and maybe changed your opinion about cannabis. But we also wanted to provide some educational information that might help kind of push the needle as well. Perfect. That's great. All right. So again, I say these stories, again, we talk about stories on podcasting. These are very strong stories because they're made between people with very strong connections, family specifically, because oftentimes the family is the people who think it's dangerous. The loved one is doing something that heals themselves and they see it and that does something to their brain. It opens them up. So can we, I want to shift to kind of family talk because that is one of my favorite things. So I guess Bronwyn, when you decide to do this, you are working with children. You have parents. I'm sure <laughs> people around you. What did your family think? Maybe even your community think of what you were doing and how did you explain it to them? I kind of kept in the closet with my community. Well, I didn't kind of. I kept in the closet with my community. My husband is very supportive. He sees the benefits in my life, especially he dealt with me as an alcoholic for 12 years. So he really supports this journey and this medicine and he advocates for me. Oh, wow. So that was that wasn't a break because I was talking to a woman a couple of weeks ago with she was taking edibles for two years and wouldn't tell her husband because she owned that shame. And I find the shame is interesting because people don't even know where the shame comes from. But it's so you were very open. So that must have been very helpful, actually. It was very helpful. And like I said, I was kind of blessed to grow up with it. My mom was always a huge supporter. I lost both my parents in 2017. So I'm unable to share this journey with them. But I know that they would support it as well. I know that's, that deep in uh, my heart. That's actually beautiful. So you knew. Yeah, that's a, interesting. All right. So you had full support. Yes. Gerald, how did your family get your, how old your children, child? Yeah. So we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And then we experienced the stillbirth two years ago. So for me, uh, my parents didn't consume. So I kind of grew up in a very straight edge household, even though like my granddad, we from the hood, like everybody, but. My parents ended up going to work for the federal government. So they were kind of always by the book. And they always told me, like, you got to stay away from certain things because you're trying to go to certain levels. So they didn't find out. I didn't tell them until I think when I got to college, I got drug tested. And I saw I called my parents and I was nervous. I was scared because I was like, hey, I'm getting drug tested. I've been smoking. And I want y'all to know before it comes out, maybe on ESPN or something like that. So. My dad was like, you're making adult decisions. You just got to live with it. Um, he was like, you're a smart kid and all that stuff. So he never, it was never anything harsh about it. As far as my wife, my, me and my wife have been dating since we were in college. So she knew I was consuming in college, but then we graduated and got into the professional world. So then obviously it's like, well, if we're going to be public figures, we have to carry a certain image. And so I kind of carried a certain image for a while. 
um, until we got legalization in Ohio. Once we got legalization in Ohio, I, I came out of the closet and started talking about it way more and started being more public, started creating groups and communities around it and events. So my wife's been very accepting. And what about children? So your kids. So how was your, again, oh, that dog, kids, children? Children. Children. <laughs> Come on in. This is real life. Hi. How are you? We're just talking about this, you. This is Noah. So this is my this is my oldest son. Hey Noah. So He's we're just talking about your dad and we're talking about cannabis. What do you know about he it? He can't hear you right now. Stop. Oh, he can't. Um, <laughs> I got my headphones in. Oh, but, okay. you know, so I, I have the conversations with my kids. Hey, this okay. is daddy's medicine. This is what makes daddy feel better because I've dealt with concussions. I've dealt with obviously I played safety, which if you don't know football, like to play safety, it's a hard hitting position. Yeah. I mean, I've probably had thousands of hits. And so CTE is actually one of our reasons you can get cannabis in our program. But the thing about CTE is you can't diagnose CTE until you die. Uh, so I don't know how that's something, but. Uh, so can you just kind of go back to like how, again, I don't, yeah. I am like, I'm football stupid, I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I do yeah. know it's a very aggressive game and I do understand that there's a lot of concussions and issues with it. So can you explain just to my audience, maybe something like something that you were feeling before or maybe something you think this is helping with that some of your brothers who are playing this sport could really utilize it just to be very specific so people understand? Oh yeah, I mean, football is a gladiator sport. So there there hasn't been a moment, stop buddy. Okay, just gonna be one second. Okay, one second. You know how to get your pizza, I'll get your pizza. This is real uh, life parenting people live and in person. Okay, go get some more. It's some more already in there. I already, you just okay. got to put it on there. Sometimes you just got to put it on the plate. We can cut this out. Is he good? Okay. So it was one of those things where you're dealing with a lot of stress and trauma. Like parenting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that's why I've been consuming. Look at me, it's like cool, calm, and collected. I'm, I'm used to dealing with having to deal with the the pressure and the limelight and being on point and so it's part of the conditioning don't throw that baby so it's just for and, me and, like and, I, maybe, I understand how it helps can i ask how it's helping in your parenting because that's actually a topic of our we always talk about so i did not consume when my kids were little i probably should have i was very tense does it make you do these moments feel not so stressful okay <laughs> yes well it helps everything right like it helps me like not spaz out when they're spazzing out on me yeah just Caught, like breathe, breathe. <laughs> a lot of those things that you see a lot of parents stressing about and it's like their children their kids they don't know any better we do but a lot of times you're so stressed my parents i know they were stressed and it's perspective um, don't you think it's partly perspective it's that idea that when you're in that moment it's kind of hard to get out of the space and if you can calm yourself down my friend who's a nurse says it dials yeah. it down kind of dials yeah. it down and then you can just move yeah. through this moment because you know you're going to get to the other side because you always do Exactly. All right, so that's all right. So Natasha, let's talk about your family. How many children do you have? I actually have five. Ah, I knew that. And how does that work with your family? I'll actually give the ages, the range. They range in age from fourteen to twenty-three. But uh, it's been an interesting journey because cannabis wasn't a part of my life at all till I was about forty-seven. So for me, it wasn't something that I had access to or had a history with or really understood. It's part of the reason I enjoy telling my story because I represent the skeptics who didn't really understand this world, who didn't understand what the hype was about legalization, who had no clue and no connection otherwise. And I think what prompted me was really a sense of justice from my prior career as an immigration attorney. But with regards to family, 
my kids have seen a huge transition in me, right? Over the past couple of years, my my children, my extended family have seen me go, go from a very conservative stance to one that is fiercely entrenched in advocacy. And I think that I have to have a lot of conversations to kind of balance out, no, mom's not really going through a midlife crisis. This was a conscious decision. And it's because my eyes were open to a whole other side of this conversation and a whole other side of the argument, both from the medical need and the fact that we've actually done a disservice to people in the United States by kind of indulging this farce of prohibition and this insanity that that it's a gateway drug into anything or that it's a drug at all. So by indulging that, we've harmed so many of our citizens, of our veterans, and just people in general who have been deprived of medical care that they needed. But there's also the social justice aspect of it that deals with the war on drugs, the incarceration of people, the disenfranchisement of people, and the intentional maligning of folks, all for gain, political gain and financial gain. And now that cycle is still continuing just in a different way. We have a lot of problems now because our focuses are still not on the right things. They're still not necessarily on doing the right things for the the most people. They're still somewhat focused on political gain and financial gain, devoid of any connection to the people who need this plant and the people who choose to and have the right to choose this plant. And I think Gerald's earlier example of CTE speaks directly to the issue of folks who don't have the knowledge and expertise making the decisions. Only someone who has no clue would put on there that CTE was a reason for being able to get your medical cannabis card when you can only diagnose that when you're dead. That that had to come from someone either unknowledgeable or just someone who was just playing out to to mock the whole system. Well, that so is interesting. I really like, thought about that. So that again, that. these are the people again. The people who make these policies, everything's made up. The people who make up these policies may come into it with very bad information. So you need women like Natasha. You need the Parabola Institute. You need people who understand it, actually understand this to help create the language that creates the policies that create the reality that we live in. So that's really interesting. All right. So back to your kid. So when you ex- told them it's not a midlife crisis, what it, like I used to kid, I was a, I had a late awakening. I told my kids and they're teenagers. I was like, everything I knew about pot was wrong. They were psyched. But and then it went from there. So did your children have a relationship with it? Did they think it was bad? How did you talk about it before? And then what was the transition, I guess? It was just kind of a shocker, right? Very conservative household that I was raised in. They were raised in a very conservative household. I was married to my husband for 23 years and he was on his way to being a pastor. So really, really conservative household. And so this was a big transition and I had to be careful with that conversation. I think I started with medical and I I hear people talking about being in the closet. I was absolutely in the closet with my immediate family and my extended family, but you can only hide something like this for so long. I think witnessing me take this from an advocacy position helped them understand the why Mm -hmm. of it all. And for me, I still struggle with the if mom is advocating, then this must be okay. I, I, I'm very careful with that because I still am very, I'm very deliberate in letting them know that this is not a decision for children. This is an adult decision in the same way that I don't let my children drink. I also don't encourage them to participate in this at a young age, and I don't believe that they should. I don't believe there's enough information. I believe there are developmental reasons that if they don't need this medically, they don't need to participate in it in it. Not to mention I live in North Carolina where it's completely illegal. And so 
as both an officer of a court, as a mom, and just having good common sense, I'm not going to encourage them to do something illegal. But we also have to be realistic, right? It's completely illegal. We have neither medicinal nor recreational here in North Carolina. And yet you can't walk a block without smelling it everywhere, right? So you're combating society and you're combating yourself. And I'm trying not to be a hypocrite and I'm trying to still be an advocate, but I'm also concerned about my kids. So I think it's a complex and delicate uh, conversation that's ongoing. You have to keep having this conversation every single day. Permanent engagement. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about you in North Carolina. Wow, that is a very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. All right, Dr. Bridget, you got two girls. How old are they now? Oh, gosh, I'm 19 and 16. And when you started working in cannabis or what what was the experience of the transition or the talk? How did that work? It went from, so what are you doing now? What's your latest thing? To being really proud that I was kind of fighting the good fight. Oh, good. And that there was this opportunity to provide medication for people that really needed it and was safer for them. They're of this generation where te- high schoolers and teenagers aren't drinking mm. the way that they did when we were that age, right? And they're a little bit more aware, and cannabis is not the dirty word even that it was when we were kids. So, and and, and the bars are concerned about it, to be totally, the alcohol and sure about it. And so they weren't as troubled, if anything, I'm at like a school function and I have moms tapping me on the shoulder saying, I know what you do. Can you help me? And I'm like, and and they don't mean help in a medicinal way. So I um, feel, yeah, I have it happen. I feel yell across the street, Joyce, Joyce. I'm like, what? What do you think of this product I found in the dispensary? I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm at a school musical. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) They need us. They need us. We have to exist. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it will catch you off guard. And so, so I think they're proud and I think they've enjoyed seeing the journey and realizing that everything that's put in front of us, whether it's in books or in media or whatever the source may be, is not necessarily the entire truth. And so I think they're more independent thinkers as they are looking at what we're doing as far as in the medical cannabis space, but just even as the country is changing, they're they're smarter. Don't you think they're smarter? Yeah, they're smarter. And again, they can. I've heard parents say their kids stand up to the dare officer because they're still sending police officers and people who don't understand to talk about this. And they are able to literally talk back because they know what the truth is. So I think it's a whole, it's a next generation, which girls are really young. So, all right, we're coming up against time. Let's talk about Bronwyn. I know you're in this for the fight. You've been doing the education. What are you thinking about for the future? What are, I know you're still trying to figure out where your place is. I can see you in education talking about this as a, a parent. I mean, two parents about educators, why it isn't dangerous. But where are you thinking you, you see yourself in the future? In the future, I see myself continuing to fight the good fight, mm-hmm. to continue to spread the good word and give hope and show that it's okay to be vulnerable and honest and help fight that stigma. And I'd really like to see more patient rights advocacy and see how I can become a part of that. Yeah, the medical, I, it, is, it is worrisome, like, if as we watch it happening. So we need more people talking about this and not, it can't, the conversation can't get lost. So we need people who are still talking at a, a ground level to talk about other people, why this is still important to exist. All right, let's see. Natasha, you've been doing a lot of advocacy federal level. What do you think? I don't know. 
what, what what are you thinking of like the next couple of years? Where are you, what do you think that attention should be? The focus should be, or what, what are you looking at? I still think that the push needs to come through to have some sort of federal legalization. I know that that's what everybody wants, but I think certain things need to be in place before we do that, or we're going to have an even bigger disaster on our hands than we have now. Right now, trying to function with 50 different states is a nightmare. And we're seeing sort of that domino effect of the growth and the and the, the fall within cannabis, even as we continue to legalize across the various states. I think we need to be intentional in how we lay out a federal cannabis legalization platform. I think it needs to be equitable and it needs to be inclusive and it needs to be based on the historical impact, right, that the war on drugs has had on communities, right? There are communities that have been marginalized. There are individuals who have suffered tremendously. And we can't simply put profit ahead of everything in this plight or in this fight to get legalization. Because if we do, we're going to see a complete collapse. What, what I think some of the lawmakers seem to fall short in their understanding is people who use cannabis and have been using cannabis for a while, they've already got to go to. They're not interested in paying your exorbitant taxes and your higher fee, fees for inferior products. And if we keep going the way we're going, you're simply going to continue to fuel the black market, not the gray market or whatever color we're assigning to it now to try to make it something that it's not. You're going to encourage the black market. And I don't think that's where anyone wants us to go, except perhaps the people who are benefiting in the black market. So I think it's important in the next couple of years that we start putting the, the minds at the forefront that understand the conversation and can really help craft the conversation. I think it would be absolutely the worst idea possible to allow monopolies to go forward. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Parabola Center a couple of times, and that's a big fight as a partner for the Parabola Center. We fight vehemently against the idea of monopolies because it's the worst thing that could happen. I mean, quite literally handing over the keys to the castle to people who are known to have put out product that's detrimental to people in this country, people across the world, whether it's tobacco or alcohol, which are known carcinogens that are known to be toxic to the body. Those are not the people who need to be in charge of what cannabis looks like. Monopolies is not the way to go with this because quite literally it will cause the industry to collapse in on itself. And there's too much work that's gone in for that to sort of lead the way. Are, are people listening? I mean, when you go in and talk to policy people, are they like, can they hear, again, their entire history, it's like the entire American history is based on sort of the same issue is that 1619, we came over here, we had to grow hemp. Who was growing it? And it's just kind of gone from there. And, and we're, it, we are at this moment. So I'm not sure how you're supposed to detangle it, but the idea that this story has to be understood and it can't just be big business anymore. I just, I can't fix the problems, but you know, we are free market fundamentalists in this country apparently, but this is an industry that's new and women and caregivers are leading it. And that's what I find really powerful because they're bringing different values and a different perspective to it. And it's so hard to stay in. The people who are staying in really are passionate. And I don't know why it's so expensive. That's another discussion, but all right. So it's going to be federal legal and we're going to do it based on consumers and patients, not based on big business. That's our future. That's the future that I hope for. And I think that I just think that the culture will demand it. I think that that is what's being fought against. I think there are a lot of people who have a lot to gain by us not pushing for that inclusivity and sort of that broader picture. But I, I think they're up against a different sort of adversary because the culture oh, I like that. Cannabis and the people are just, we're not going to be tolerant of sort of the business as usual. And that excites me. 
That excites me too. Oh my God, that's the best way to hear it. All right, we got a couple of minutes. Let's talk about let's talk about the courage and cannabis book, Doctor Bridget. <laughs> How many authors do you have? One will be out. How can my listeners find it? Are you doing a big push? Are you doing book tours? What are you doing? Tell me what's yeah, going on. So compared to the first book, we wanted to make sure that we could get everyone that had great stories to be involved and included. So we switched the book from a profit to a nonprofit and brought in sponsors so that we could also fund a larger marketing campaign. So I'm very excited about what we've been able to build and our amazing sponsors that are supporting this book and its efforts. And so we will be doing book tours and where we did the big push last year. And so in meaning that we'll have like a Facebook Live, Instagram Live, Zoom, extravaganza the day, the night before it launches. And then we'll also, the day of the launch, when we really push people to buy a electronic version of this is how we get to that number one level. And so we'll do all day marathon. Yeah, the date, to the date of release? I, I had a date. Okay. <laughs> I... When I reviewed the book, I wanted to make sure it's right. And so I sent it back to the publisher one more time. Okay. So I need to get a new date. Okay. Um, so I'll have that soon. But summer, know, fall, what do you have a, like estimated time? Summer or fall? Uh, two, three weeks. Oh, very soon. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Oh, very, very soon. I thought it was going to be next week. Oh, okay. Oh, that's uh, perfect. When people put this much of their heart and their soul on the table like this, I don't want it. I don't want any goof ups. Okay. To be totally honest with you. Right. So about two or three weeks, I think we should have this up and rolling. So I'm excited about it. It's been a it's been a long journey because with the first book, ignorance is bliss. Exactly. And right? Like we had a good time being ignorant together, right? And so we shared what we what we felt would be beneficial and we got it out there and it's been more than I think any of us really expected as far as the impact. And, but I knew I had a bigger responsibility with this book and knowing that now, and literally we started working on this book about six, seven months after the first book was released. Quick, quick, yep. So we're actually probably going to spend the next year and a half pushing the two books together because okay. now we have people all over the country that can support the books and get it out there. And as you were talking to Natasha about and and just how the country's changing, you know, as far as legalization, there's a lot more to talk about. There's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a never ending pot of stories and it could change our economy. It could change our health. It could change the way we perceive each other. It could help with ingrained racism in our country if we would allow the story to be told and we were actually like truthful about what this plant medicine is and how it can actually help us. And I know I have I have hope. So thank you for getting all these stories. I've been like I carry the book around with me. I hand it out to people. I have a little library in my house. I I love it. I talk about it all the time. All right. So we're almost up on time. Let's just do a fast round robin goodbye. I like to ask people what their favorite way to consume is and the best way to connect with you. So let's start with Gerald. Favorite way to consume and best way to connect with you if my audience wants to reach you and follow you. Yeah, I mean, I like to roll one up, honestly. Obviously, in Ohio, we're not supposed to do that. So, allegedly, he likes to roll. So, I I mean, I think it's very communal. I think it's very, it's more of a spiritual thing. But when I can't, I have vapor. I have every form. I have edibles, tinctures, vaporizers. 
a little bit of everything. And so people can find me on Instagram at Gerald Moore Jr. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all the social medias. I'm a millennial, so I do a little bit of everything. You can find me. I also run a page called Ohio Cannabis Report, where I try to stay on top of the things going on in the Ohio cannabis industry. And I also have something on Instagram called at Athletes and Cannabis, where we share athlete stories and talk about the health benefits and just the cultural perspective of athletes consuming. Um, so that's where you can find me. That's great. Yeah, that's a good angle. I, I love that. All right. Thank you. And Bronwyn, your favorite way to consume and best way for people to connect with you, reach out to you if they're interested in reaching out and connecting with you. My safer way to consume is I prefer hash. I'm a dabber and I use my Puffco Peak. And the best way to connect with me is either in the Courage of Cannabis page, which is available because of Dustin Cava, my sponsor. And you can find me on Facebook as Bronwyn Scarberry. I'm on Instagram as The Toking Teacher. And I am on LinkedIn as well. Excellent. The Toking Teacher. I have not heard that before. All right, Natasha. It's, it's my oh, chapter no. title. I'm oh, sorry. it is. The Toking yes. Teacher. Oh, that's good. Yes. I like that. All right. So, Natasha. So con- consumption for me is obviously tricky being in the no man's land that I'm in. I'm not much of a smoker. So I would say... My favorite thing to do as a avid eater and an avid cook is probably when I travel is to try out different savory options. I like to find places that have, do actual cooking, cooking, not so much baking and gummies and candies, but actual meals. And are you able to find that in a lot of, is that a lot of, again, we have a place called Dinner at Mary's that does delivery, but I haven't really seen that many different places to do it. Yeah. Tourism is kind of growing. I love talking yeah. to folks about ancillary ways of getting into the market and cannabis tourism is growing. So there are some interesting places to consume and, and make that a, an experience in and of itself. So that's, that's if I had to pick a favorite, I guess it would be sort of the experiential travel of it all. Combine a couple of things that I love, travel, food, and kind of seeing the world through through those alternate eyes. Yeah, the perspective. Um, that's great. Then... <laughs> And then ways to find me, social media, uh, I am not a millennial like Gerald, but I've been dragged into it kicking and screaming. So I too am on all of your social media outlets. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach both me personally and NABCL, National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers. On Instagram, you can find us at NABCL underscore LLC. And I am also the Cannaboss on Instagram and other social media. And it's B-A-W-S-E, devised by my 16-year-old as badass women straight executing. So <laughs> you can find me as the Cannabot. I need to be the title of your book. That is hysterical. <laughs> See, children are useful. All right. And Dr. Bridget, your favorite way to consume and best way to connect with you? Depends on what I'm focusing on or treating. And so obviously if it's a sleep issue, then it's always an edible. I'm not an edible fan, but for sleep, it's a great option. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm really fascinated about the drink industry and THC drinks and CBD waters and drinks. Um, I feel like the CBD water drinks are underrated and can be actually really beneficial and feel great. But it's a subtle feeling that you get from CBD. Um, if you're sitting there grinding your teeth and you're stressed and you're driving or whatever, a CBD water is a lot better than probably any pharmaceutical that you would pick up, right? So I really like that. And then THC beverages will equalize the alcohol and bar industry and everything else. So I think that is 
that's my new fascination. Like, how do how do we make great drinks? I love that. I want to do a whole women's event about beverages out here in Massachusetts. Anyone listening who wants to sponsor it, come talk to me. I think that would be a really great way to introduce my country club ladies and my ladies who play tennis and all my lawyer friends who don't really consume cannabis, but will go to me with a dispensary when I do the dispensary tours. But they just don't quite feel comfortable consuming. So beverages, that's a great one. All right. Another show, people, another show. Thank you for joining us. A little tricky in the beginning, but we pulled it off as we always do. So for my guest, Dr. Bridget Williams, Bronwyn Scarberry, Natasha Andrews, and Gerald Moore Jr., all authors in the upcoming anthology, Courage and Cannabis 2. And of course, my Bro for today, John Gay. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cannabis Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and thank you for sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannabis Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.